G'day guys, Matty Ryan here. Okay, so we've got um, Chug here. He's only about a 14 foot male crocodile, but he is a dominant male in this area. You know, these are the waters where Sweetheart used to roam up and down, so more than likely he's uh, one of the offsprings of uh, Sweetheart. And Sweetheart was that renowned crocodile, about 5.1 metres. He used to bite the outboards, harass safari hunters and, and, and uh, fishermen in this lagoon. And then uh, eventually he was caught in uh, 1979. But during the capture, he, was, uh, he got tangled up in the ropes and he drowned. But you can go to uh, the museum now and you see him on display. He's a very big crocodile. From specimen jars, backstore drawers and eskies, we bring you a podcast about tropical objects and how they came to be here in the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory, also known as Magnet. Welcome to the collection. Come on, let's take a look. Dad brought home a huge lump of the tail, so it's a, it's a white meat. We'd not seen crocodile meat before, and this is before any crocodile farming was done and um, we tried it as sort of little um, pieces cut off that and it was really really tough like we tried to eat it um, and it was just like chewing on white rubber it, he, he was a very old crocodile and it was tough uh, so in the end we minced it and um, made it into patties and it was quite edible but yeah it was very different different to what we'd ever had before My name is Jared Archibald. I'm the curator of Tertiary History here at the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory. Uh, I've been in this role for around five years and previous to that I was the taxidermist here for 16 years. My father is Ian Archibald and uh, we moved to Darwin in 1979 when he got the job as the taxidermist here at the museum. For as long as I can remember, we've always uh, stopped for dead animals on the road. So we always had a freezer full of all sorts of different things. Snakes, uh, goannas, birds, mammals, all sorts of things that were in the process of going to the museum. So we would uh, store them first and um, then they'd be taken to the museum and stored there. Taxidermy is one of those things within a museum especially where it's a melding of both art and science and it's when you're good at it and um, my father was, was a legend at it, you're able to bring the science and the art together so you're taking an animal that's deceased and you are then trying to make it into for display an object that looks like an animal is still alive and it's just frozen in time. The first time I remember seeing it was here in Darwin um, and Sweetheart's skin and skull were wrapped up into a, a huge bag and in plastic and frozen in that um, very large freezer on our back veranda. So I remember the freezer itself was a large chest freezer and it had this huge um, dent and cut in the lid. Uh, that was from Cyclone Tracy, so this was a Cyclone Tracy survivor. And 
Sweetheart's skin and skull all together, uh, or head and skin, were wrapped up and frozen in there. And the reason we had that at home was that if if the power went off and he went rotten, that's it, it's all over. You can get the skeleton, but you've got no skin. And Darwin at that stage was prone to um, power outages, and so we needed to make sure that even if it went off, or not myself so much, I was nine, uh, but Dad had to make sure that... Uh, if the power went off, he could get ice in there and make sure it didn't go rotten until power went back on. And he's, we managed to do that. In 1978, the Northern Territory got self-government and the government was very, very keen to get people to come to the Territory. And so they wanted an icon and here's Sweetheart presented to them. Here's this crocodile that's been attacking boats, hasn't been eating people, it's not a man, a man eater, but uh, they wanted something. So they said, we want this mounted and we want to be able to take it on tour so we can attract people to the territory. So dad started to get this time limit. He needed to move quickly, but he didn't know what he was doing. So he started sending letters all over the world to different people about how to do this and what, what he needed to do, especially to preserve the skin, because he needed to do it once and do it right. As those letters went out, he got hold of a small eight-foot crocodile. Uh, that one had been living in Bees Creek and had been eating dogs uh, and had been shot. Uh, he scum that one out and he... As this was happening, that was then frozen, and he then got letters back from different places saying, oh, we don't know what to do, but he was told to get on to a Rhodesian crocodile farmer uh, in South Southern Africa, which he did. And this crocodile farmer, uh, he raises Nile crocodiles, which get as big as salties. And um, he said, this is the, the chemicals that I use. And uh, Dad was able to get those uh, through Bayer in Germany and had them imported into Darwin and then used those. And the first one was an experiment on the eight-footer. So he carved a body, he preserved the skin, put it all together, and in the end it was a success. So Dad had been tasked to uh, mount Sweetheart uh, for the government uh, for display, but they wanted it to look as big as possible and as ferocious as possible. So open mouth and ramrod straight, so the biggest it could possibly be. Dad always wanted to do things lifelike. Dad was not happy with that at all because it was unnatural. It's not what they do at all. Uh, so he uh, argued, but they um, they wouldn't listen. They still said, no, you've got to do it our way. So in the end, he just put a kink in the tail. So it was still almost straight, but not quite. And that was his uh, little thumbing his nose, it's authority moment. There was a lot of difficulties with scales lifting, uh, and there was a lot of pinning and gluing done as the skin dried to uh, to get those all to stay in place. And before that skin was actually properly dried, it, he was crated, and uh, Sweetheart was sent south on a um, on an aircraft to go to an expo, to go to the uh, exhibition building in Melbourne, to go on the Mike Walsh show, to go to all these different places uh, with government officials to show the territory as this um, amazing place that has these amazing animals that everyone has to come. Uh, one of the pictures we have is um, 
the mount with um, dignitaries in front of action territory. And that was the, the catch cry at the time to, to try and bring you know, uh, tourists and, and visitors to Darwin and to the NT. And uh, he was the, the draw card. What makes Sweetheart interesting and what makes Sweetheart famous is not his length, it's the behaviour that he exhibited. My name is Adam Britton and I'm a crocodile specialist and I've been working with crocodiles now for over 20 years. Sweetheart was 5.1 metres long, which is a pretty decent size for a crocodile. It's sort of in the upper range, upper average range that saltwater crocodiles can reach. But it wasn't exceptional. But what was exceptional was his behaviour. And so when I first saw Sweetheart's pose, I thought, well, you know, it's not particularly interesting to me. What would be a lot more interesting would be if it was posed demonstrating what made it so interesting. You know, its behaviour, grabbing the boat engines and, and causing chaos. Fortunately, Sweetheart never actually killed anyone, which of course is why he was removed before that became potentially an issue. I like to see more natural poses which actually give you some sense of the character of the animal. Sweethearts displayed at the top of a ramp and as they, they walk up, they actually have their eye height at his, um, his feet height and so they seem to their left and they, you, can, you watch them and they go, oh gee that's, and then as they get higher up and look more to the left they can see how huge he is, how big his bulk is and then when you get round to the front he's there with his mouth open and it's always, wow that is huge, it, it, he is a really big animal. Uh, he isn't the biggest, you know, um, saltwater crocodile that ever existed. Not by any, um, not in any terms at all. There's many that have been far bigger, but he's a good example of that. And people are, I think, always surprised uh, just how huge he is. Crocodiles have got the strongest bite force of any animal for their size. And the reason for that is that they get one opportunity to launch out of the water and grab onto something. And it could be something that's really quite strong and powerful, like a buffalo, for example. And they don't want to let go of it. So they have this incredibly strong bite force to bite down on that. And then they'll use the strength and the weight of their body to drag the animal into the water. And even though something like a buffalo is pretty powerful, um, if they can get it into the water, then the advantage goes to the crocodile because suddenly the, the animal's lost its footing or the buffalo's lost its footing, it's floating, it can't control itself. And then what the crocodile does is it uses its power to try and overpower the buffalo. So what it'll do is it'll try and drown it and the next thing it will try and do is it'll use the weight of its body to, to rip that animal up. So yeah, as soon as you're in the water with a crocodile, it's goodbye, pretty much. We have a very interesting relationship with crocodiles. They were protected here in the Northern Territory nearly 50 years ago. And since that time, they have recovered really quite well. And I think at first there was probably a lot of public support for that recovery but that changed as soon as people started being attacked and bitten by crocodiles again. And it's fairly understandable. Here you are saying, well, we need to protect these animals. And on the other hand, people are being bitten in the wild. 
And there was a lot of effort put in in the early 1980s to basically try and persuade people that actually we did want to have crocodiles around, that they had a value not only to the environment, to the ecosystem, but also they had a value to us. And it's a balance, it's a fine balance. Whenever someone gets attacked by a crocodile, usually have to put a lot of effort in to remind people of the fact that actually it's more beneficial to have them around than not. And what works particularly effectively is when you have a very strong education and awareness program. And it's something I think that the Northern Territory has been world leaders on. You gotta sabi crockwise if you did and long a water. Keep a good one eye like your son and daughter. And if you're riding long a boat, keep away from the tide. Mighty crocodile mouth, I'm gonna open up. There are certainly some big crocodiles out there. Uh, I, I don't like the term monster because it implies that there's something wrong with the animal. But what essentially you have is these incredibly impressive giant crocodiles. Anything over about five meters is starting to get really, really interesting. Crocodiles have got a variety of different values. I mean, the, 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 the thing that we're most familiar with and we can relate to, of course, is their economic value. So they provide people with jobs and they support a farming industry, tourism. But they also have other values as well. Crocodiles are, are very important to indigenous culture. Um, I mean, it, it, it varies as you go across northern Australia. Some clan groups uh, uh, have got a much closer relationship to crocodiles than others. But for those that do, they're clearly very important animals. And they also have an ecological value. They are top predators in the ecosystem. And if you take those top predators out, it's going to have a knock-on effect uh, in the ecosystem. And so it's a lot more difficult to try and communicate to people that crocodiles have got an ecological value. And so this is why most of the value, the emphasis has been put on how much money they can bring into the, into the local economy. But uh, it's clearly extremely important and we need to make sure that people remember that. I've worked in uh, museums for I just worked it out 28 years now, which um, is quite amazing. Uh, and I love them. They are wonderful things. And one of the reasons I love working in a museum is that they help educate people. There's something that people come in to learn about things, to see things that they've not seen before, or to see sometimes the biggest and the best, like Sweetheart. He's huge. He's a great example of a, of a massive crocodile and has an amazing story that goes with him. Museums collect objects, and objects tell stories. That was the first episode of The Collection, a podcast that brings you the stories behind some of the most iconic and interesting objects in the Museum and Art Gallery of the Northern Territory. Join us next time as we dive into the ocean to find out about giant clams and the threat of poaching. Giant clams are so special because they are very, very, very brightly coloured. Magnificent blues, greens, purples. The hall itself, not just the clams, but the sea cucumber and the fish on board, could have come to hundreds of thousands of dollars. The Collection is a museum and art gallery of the Northern Territory podcast. This episode featured Magnet's Curator of Territory History, Jared Archibald, Crocodile Specialist, Adam Britton, and Northern Territory Outback Wrangler, Matt Wright. 
The Collection is produced by Story Projects with production by Cinema Nippard and Laurie Uden. Music composition by James Mangohig and mixing by Hamish Robertson. Johanna Bell is the executive producer. Big thanks to Tourism NT, Matt Wright, Adam Britton, Inspector Jay, Leneur Desson and the Northern Territory Government for sharing their recordings with us. This episode was created on Larrakia land in the tropical top end of the Northern Territory through funding from National Science Week NT. Subscribe to the collection wherever you get your podcasts or for more info, head to magnt.net.au forward slash the collection. Thank you.